Good morning. Our scripture lesson this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 through 12. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give a distinct note, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. I pray that you would open it up to our minds and hearts to receive what you have for us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A week and a half ago, Mary and I were at a retreat uh, for pastors and their wives in Branson, Missouri. And there were four other uh, pastoral couples there attending from various denominations, uh, but the majority were from Pentecostal denominations. Uh, The facilitator of the group asked us a question in one of the morning sessions, and he said, what is the most encouraging thing about your prayer times together as a couple? When it came around to my turn, I said, I find it very encouraging when Mary and I pray in tongues together. It's a special time of connection with the Lord where our words don't get in the way. One of the other pastors stared in disbelief and said, you mean that Lutherans are filled with the Spirit and pray in tongues? After a moment of awkward silence, Mary cried out, surprise! (laughs) Well, in many denominational circles, including Lutherans, Uh, The topics of tongues is similar to that bizarre uncle who shows up at the family reunion. He makes everyone uncomfortable, and when he does say something, it usually causes embarrassment. The most common reaction is to ignore him altogether or not to invite him to future gatherings. But he's still part of the family. And the gift of tongues, whether we like it or not, is still listed in the family of spiritual gifts. And because God chose to include it in his written message to us, the Word of God, we need to try to figure it out. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. During this message, I will be uh, looking at the Word, and it would be tempting to try to draw from many outside sources as well, like historical accounts. But I'm going to try to stick strictly to the Scriptures as much as possible, and at the end, you can decide for yourself what you want to do with that information. And so first of all, before we uh, begin to look at the gift of tongues, I think it's important to get a proper understanding of the tongue itself. There are two main places in the Bible, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, that shed light on its importance. The Old Testament reference is from Genesis chapter 11. You know that section of scripture as the Tower of Babel. 
Verse 1 states, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. They all spoke the same tongue. And that was very powerful because there was nothing to hinder them from the tasks that they wanted to accomplish in regard to communication. And one of the things that they wanted to accomplish was to build a great tower so that they could draw people from all over the earth to come to that centralized location. But God was not pleased with their plan for many reasons, and I'll talk about that in a future sermon. But I want to highlight his response in Genesis 11:7. It says that he confused their language so that they would not be able to understand one another's speech. Notice his judgment is focused on their tongues because they had not used their tongue to glorify God, but rather to elevate mankind. We jump forward to the New Testament book of James chapter 3, and there we see that the tongue is very powerful regarding the determination of one's life path. In verse 6, James says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. In Proverbs uh, chapter 17, verse 28, Solomon observes, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent, and discerning if he holds his tongue. And so our speech is affected by our fallen nature. But just as in every other part of our lives, where God seeks to redeem things through the sanctification process by the blood of Christ, he also desires to redeem our tongues as well. James goes on to draw attention to a paradox in the Christian life. He says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And so it's only natural when we look at the gifts of the Spirit that we see that speech is prominent. We see it in the gifts of preaching, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, encouragement, evangelism, intercession, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Now let's jump forward here into Acts chapter 2. Uh, in Acts 2, 3 through 6, we see the first use of the gift of tongues in the New Testament. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in their own language. There are three things I'd like to call to our attention in this passage. First, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit that enabled them to speak in other tongues. Second, it was the Spirit's discretion as to which language would be spoken. God knew which nations would be represented among them. And finally, they heard in their own language. This could mean one of two things. It could mean that the different 120 disciples that had been in the upper room all spoke in a different language that they formerly didn't know, or that there was a miracle of hearing. What I mean by this is that perhaps the words left the mouths of the disciples and were translated mid-flight. So when the sound waves hit the ears of the hearers, they were hearing it in their own individual languages. 
This kind of makes more sense to me because at one point, Peter is the sole speaker and he's giving a sermon and everyone understands him. But either way, it was a miracle. And here we see a reversal of the curse that's placed on humanity at the Tower of Babel. Instead of confusion, Peter's sermon brings salvation to the people and glory back to God. Two additional passages in the book of Acts speak about the gift of tongues. In each instance, an apostle, first Peter, then Paul, proclaimed the gospel to unbelievers, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they begin to speak in tongues. And I believe that perhaps these new converts were speaking in languages that they should not have known, but that the apostles knew, perhaps Aramaic. And I think this because in Acts 10.46 it says, they were speaking in tongues and extolling God. And the listeners would not have known that they were extolling God unless they themselves knew the tongue of the speaker. Next we look at tongues and edification. We don't see the gift of tongues mentioned again until Paul addresses uh, it in 1 Corinthians. And in fact, chapters 12 through through 14, which we're looking at here today, and then Mark 16, 17, are the only places we see tongues mentioned uh, further in the entire New Testament. And so as we look at this limited amount of explanation, we see the purpose of tongues is clarified here. First, it is a sign for unbelievers, and second, it is a means of prayer. It was a sign for unbelievers in the New Testament because it legitimized the gospel message, especially regarding its intended recipients. Initially, the apostles believed that the gospel message was only for the nation of Israel, and they got this idea directly from Jesus, who said in Matthew 15, 24, I have only come for the lost sheep of Israel. Also, in Matthew 10, 5, he's sending out the 72 disciples, and he says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. And so it takes a vision from God to change the view about their mission and to expand it to the Gentile world. Peter is sitting on a roof one day and he goes into a trance where he sees a great sheet that is let down from heaven. And in this sheet, there were many animals. Most of them were unclean for the Jewish people. But the Lord says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter refuses to, stating that he has never eaten anything unclean. This vision repeats three times, and then someone comes up to the roof to tell him that a Gentile is there to invite him to the home of a Roman officer. Peter goes with him, but it's clear that he's still not convinced that non-Jewish people were included in Jesus' gospel mission. When he arrives at the home of Cornelius, the centurion, he finds a large group of Gentiles waiting to hear his message. Listen to what's, uh, what happens as recorded in Acts 10, 44 through 46. While Peter was still, still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them in tongues praising God. And so the fact that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues was a sign to both the unbelievers and to the apostles that they needed Jesus as well. The second purpose of tongues, and probably the most common today, is for edifying prayer. Paul describes how tongues works in 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 2 he says, 
For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. And that's what prayer is, speaking to God. In verse 4, he goes on to say, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Building oneself up is known as edification. And then finally, in verse 14, he concludes, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so from these three verses, we deduce that when we speak in tongues, we are praying with our spirit for the purpose of self-edification. David Pryor, in a message on 1 Corinthians uh, Corinthians 14, says that the edifying benefits of such personal speaking in tongues includes a particular sense of God's presence, relaxation from tension, strength to cope with pain, power in prayer to resist demonic onslaught, freedom in intercession when verbal prayer is inadequate or impossible, and freedom to worship God when lost in wonder, love, and praise. But Paul seems to indicate that the uh, instruction here to um, the Corinthians, that there is a corporate gift of speaking in tongues, not just a private prayer language that we use for self-edification. We see this in his list of manifestations or outworkings of the Spirit in chapter 12. There he lists gifts like the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, the working of miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, and at the tail end, various kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. I've been to many churches where people are speaking in tongues during the worship service. Unfortunately, in those services, this practice goes directly against Paul's clear teaching because in 1 Corinthians 14.5 he says, Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And so why does Paul here elevate prophecy over tongues? It's because prophecy, whether it comes by preaching or a special word of revelation directed at a particular circumstance, edifies and builds up the church in general. People hear the word and are encouraged or convicted. If someone is speaking in tongues, no one understands them. Paul tells the Corinthian church that they should not be speaking in tongues unless there is someone that has an interpretation. Now, the obvious problem there that arises is that it's impossible to know whether or not there's someone who can interpret unless the tongue is spoken first. Perhaps the procedural method that Paul was, uh, had in mind here would go something like this, similar to being in a foreign country. I've in, been in many situations in Germany, Mexico, and Sweden where I needed to talk to someone. So I would say, does anybody speak English here? If there was an English speaker present, they would immediately recognize what I said and step forth as an interpreter. If no one spoke up, I wouldn't keep on babbling away in English because no one would understand me. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today thinking, Pastor Scott, all this is just so weird and confusing. It's better just to leave it alone and continue on with the best, the things that we've done over the last five decades. Well, you're not alone in your reaction. In fact, there are entire denominations that have developed doctrinal statements to deal with this issue, which has caused much abuse and confusion in the church. They are called cessationists. They believe that certain gifts died out when the apostles died. 
Taking a such a view would be very easy, but the question is, are they accurate in their interpretation of Scripture? Remember, we don't believe or not believe certain things because they are convenient or comfortable. Rather, we believe them because they are biblical. The primary passage that cessationists look to to defend their position is actually smack dab in the middle of the section we're focused on today. It's in 1 Corinthians 13.8, where it says, As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. They say, see here, it's clear that prophecy and tongues pass away. It's funny they don't go on to say that knowledge passes away. But the clincher for me that shows their fault is in the next verse that says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Clearly, the partial does pass away. But when does that happen? Currently, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge are partial because they are still bound by the limitations of our present spiritual condition. They become perfect when we go to heaven. We see this in verse 12. It says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I am fully known. Because we have not yet seen God face to face, we still rely on the partial view that we get through the spiritual gifts. And so what is our response to this message about tongues here at Elam? I see three options. First, we can ignore that this gift is even mentioned in the Bible and just focus on the stuff that is easily understandable. Frankly, this is the stance of most AFLC churches. Second, we could admit, admit that the gift does exist, but continue to let it fade through neglect. To me, that's like, like having a priceless classic car in the garage, but never taking it out for a drive for fear of scratching the paint job. Over time, it just deteriorates until someone generations from now uncovers it and restores it. The third option is to begin to ask God how we can incorporate this gift into our lives, not only at home in our private prayer, but also in corporate worship settings. The first step in this process is openness. If we are closed to the possibility, it will never happen. Now, just a few words of caution here. It's clear that this gift is for certain individuals that God has seen fit to give it to. Paul, in speaking about the body, asked the question, Does everyone speak in tongues? This is a rhetorical question because the obvious answer for him is no. That's why we need the entire body. Secondly, we are, we are not going to do the get the gift of tongues session by having people come up here and say, Bawana, Banana, Kokana, or something like that until you finally catch on and start speaking in tongues. If you are open to the gift and God determines it's for you, you will get it. God is not in the habit of withholding his gifts, but rather gives them out generously. If you would like to speak in tongues, I would just encourage you to pray in your prayer closet for God to give you the gift. Then begin to pray and see what happens. And by the way, you are not less spiritual if you don't pray in tongues. It just means that the Lord has given you a different gift for the means of building up the body. In conclusion this morning, you know that odd uncle that shows up at your family reunions and makes everyone uncomfortable? I've noticed something about him. It's easy just to ignore him, 
hoping that he will not come around anymore. But if you choose to actually sit down and listen to what he has to say, he might just surprise you uh, about how fascinating he really is. And so, as we think about this gift of tongues, it's in the Bible, it's in this list of the spiritual gifts, and I believe the Lord wants to strengthen our body here at Elam with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray for your blessing over it. And Lord, anybody who desires this gift of tongues, I pray that you would pour out and fill them with your spirit, that they may speak in other languages and speak that heavenly language to you directly and be edified in their spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.